When you think about times religion has been mentioned in this election, I bet one of these two moments comes to mind. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. But it all, for me, begins with cherishing the dignity, the worth, the value of every human life. But you might have forgotten or never even heard about these. We're going to protect Christianity, and I can say that. I don't have to be politically correct. Or... I am very proud to be Jewish, and being Jewish is so much of what I am. Well, first of all, I'm a Christian, mm -hmm. and I take my faith very seriously. Last episode, we talked about some trends we saw in the decline in religion, eventually concluding that maybe the best way to think about it is changing, not actually disappearing. And politics is a great place to start thinking about that. It also just seemed necessary to make a politics episode, since the millennial vote is such a hot topic in this election. Millennials are the largest generation in the country, with a population of about 83 million, but last election, we had the lowest voter turnout of any age group. It's expected more millennials will vote this time around, and in states like Nevada or Iowa, the under 30 vote may be what decides where the electoral votes go. Let's be honest though, we aren't a political podcast, and we aren't going to be able to give you the same type of commentary on the role of the millennial vote that some of our podcasting peers will. What we can do though, is take a small sample of millennials and get their take something that seems to be missing from a lot of other coverage. For as much talk as the millennial vote gets, you hardly ever hear from millennials themselves. We want to frame this episode not as an analysis of the millennial vote per se, or of the role of religion in the election even, but rather a glimpse into the ways religion still affects the lives of even the most non-religious millennials. Okay, and before we start, Max, can we also just take a minute to ask how on earth Ivanka Trump became the face of Republican millennial voters and the Trump campaign when she is neither a millennial or a voter? She's 34, and as you probably remember, she wasn't even eligible to vote for her father in the New York primary. <laughs> That's true, but don't get worked up, Brian. It's almost over. Only a few more weeks. I know, I know. So for this episode, rather than looking at the present, which you've probably heard way too much about over the past few weeks, we want to look at the past and the future. So for the past, we're talking about Bernie Sanders, the man who won the hearts of millions of young people with his atypical campaigning and downplaying of his Jewish upbringing. And then for the future, we want to get some perspectives on if the lack of politics in this election may be an indicator of what's to come for future years. Did we talk less about Donald Trump's connection to Christianity because it's becoming less of a factor in politics, or was it just because he's a bad Christian? Will things be different in 2020 or even in a few months when the new president is sworn in? I'm Max Barnes. And I'm Brian Benton. You're listening to Revolves Around Me, a podcast about the intercept of two things that think they're the center of the universe, religion and millennials. On this episode, we tackle the elusive millennial vote and the role that religion plays in it. I want to start by talking about Bernie Sanders, both about what drew people to him and what role being Jewish played in his campaigning, if any. The two Jewish people I talked with for this episode, Madison and Jordan, both said it wasn't really a factor at all. Um, I don't really think it played a factor. I think like being Jewish as an identity doesn't necessarily allude much to like your policy positions on a lot of different issues. So I think it didn't necessarily factor into, you know, my decision back then. So I think what originally drew me to Bernie Sanders is how blunt he is. Um, watching somebody who is as old as he is on TV, I was kind of expecting some sort of um, out-of-touch, washed-out politician, and I was really surprised to see how um, truthful I felt he was speaking. 
So I was actually one of the rare young people that supported Hillary from day one and never felt the burn. But I think there was a small bit of me that still felt a connection to Bernie because he was Jewish and because he was raised on similar values as myself. So you know the argument like that you shouldn't vote for Hillary just because she's a woman? Do you see that as relevant to religion too then? Yes and no. And I think that while what you said is true, there is still an argument that voting for Hillary because she's a woman will break down a glass ceiling and set a precedent. And with religion, it's similar. There's never been a non-Christian president, and I think that's relevant too in a country where the population is increasingly less and less Christian. One unusual number is that this week, the Quinnipiac University poll found that more than one-third of voters under the age of 30 plan to vote for either Libertarian Party nominee Gary Johnson or the Green Party's Jill Stein instead of either Clinton or Trump in November. That put Hillary Clinton at just 35% of the millennial vote in a four-way race. So that's an interesting statistic, and also congrats on pronouncing Quinnipiac correct the first try. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So despite how much we talk about millennial voters and the issues that are important to them, they actually tend to care about mostly the same things as older voters. Pew found that the economy was the top issue for millennials, comparable to older groups, followed by foreign policy and gun policy. To quickly sum up what some of the people we spoke with said, Brian, a Catholic in Brooklyn, said he cares about treatment of racial and ethnic minorities and the LGBT community, partly because he interacts with these groups a lot in his career as a social worker. Clint, formerly a Baptist, now an atheist in Portland, cares a lot about climate change and education. And Madison, the Jewish Bernie supporter we heard from earlier. She cares about foreign policy, the economy, but also healthcare. One thing that millennials consistently said they don't like is being pandered to, which has seemed to kind of be what's happening in this election in regards to the millennial vote. So maybe one of the reasons why Bernie Sanders was so appealing to a lot of young voters is because he wasn't doing that to millennials or to the Jewish community. I think also when you're when you're trying to pander towards a certain type of Jew or like a certain group of Jews, there's always going to be a group that's not a part of the group that's being pandered to. And so I think the Republican Party makes it really clear when they're um, trying to attract voters that are in APAC that they don't care about young voters, that they don't care about people who have been pushed out of Jewish mainstream organizations. They, they don't care about those people. And that's an issue for me. This is a good time to introduce Jack Jenkins, the senior religion editor of Think Progress and a millennial himself. He's written a lot about faith in the election, including pieces about Bernie Sanders. So I asked him to share why Bernie Sanders was so appealing to young voters. If you look at people who are not religiously affiliated, which represents you know uh, around a 20 to 25 percent of the American public, um, and if you want to break that down among 18 to 29 year olds, that represents a solid 39 percent of that group. You know, some people in this category category actually still believe in God, but they just don't want to go to church. Some of them go to multiple churches. A whole bunch of some of them are atheists. Some of them are agnostics. But one of the things they definitely have in common is a resistance to a political figure who wants to legislate their faith over and against someone else. And so Bernie Sanders actively, you know, not doing that, the fact that he didn't talk about his faith that often unless directly asked, the fact that he wasn't trying to legislate um, his Judaism or never recommended doing so, uh, clearly resonated with his supporters. Okay, Max, before we move on, this is John Kasich and Jim Gilmore trying their best to appeal to Jewish donors. My mother told me one time, she said, Johnny, when I was a very young man, she said, Johnny, if you want to look for a really good friend, get somebody who's Jewish. Last night, I was, uh, was watching Schindler's List. Everybody here has seen Schindler's List. 
Oh, God. Um, so let's move on and talk about some other candidates. Well, the big religious focus of this election came when Tim Kaine and Mike Pence talked about faith in their vice presidential debate. One of the first things I talked about with Jack was this question that was asked of them in the debate and the difference between how Pence and Kaine talked about their own faith. You know, Tim Kaine and Mike Pence, regardless of how you feel about their theological perspectives, they both come by it honestly. Um, you know, Tim Kaine was reared in a Catholic family, was, you know, studied under Jesuits, and Mike Pence is also a person of faith. You know, he calls himself an evangelical Catholic. Um, and, and so when they spoke about that during the debate, they were, they were coming by it honestly. But what was interesting is what they said about their faith, right? So um, Tim Kaine, when he discussed it, he was, you know, he was asked what was a moment in which he struggled with his faith. His answer was the death penalty is something that's difficult for him because as a Catholic, um, he has difficulty endorsing it. And But then he used the example to say, I actually told the voters of Virginia before I was elected that I would uphold the law, even if it's not something that my theology agreed with. Now, that was a kind of a sly signal to Mike Pence, because Mike Pence took a lot of flack last year for his um, support for a law in Indiana that was you know, accused of effectively legislating um, evangelical Christian beliefs particularly their opposition to LGBT equality, over other people. And so the argument there that Tim Kaine was making was, I'm going to be a person of faith, but I'm not going to legislate that against you. Both Pence and Kaine were complimented for their honesty about their faith, but I think we're going to see a lot more of what Tim Kaine was doing from both sides in the future. Clint had something to say about that too, which kind of just echoes Jack's observations. I think what Tim Kaine said, you know, and that he has his beliefs and he also has a, you know, an obligation to uphold the law, and I, I see that sort of being something that I think millennials and really anyone that's non-religious can connect with, because that's a very understandable thing. I mean, I don't think non-religious people are in any way trying to keep religious people from doing whatever they want or fulfilling any office, as long as that religion doesn't get in the way. And actually, Brian, our Catholic in Brooklyn, made a really good point about the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy and how you see that playing out in this election and in previous elections. So I'm not sure if this concept is something people know about, but basically some religions are thought to fall under orthopraxy, meaning they emphasize correct practice or ritualism, and others fall under orthodoxy. So orthopraxy is things like Hinduism, which has a heavy emphasis on rituals, or Judaism, where those who follow the religion closely eat kosher, honor the Sabbath, and so on. And on the other hand is orthodoxy, which emphasizes beliefs, and that's what Christianity is commonly thought of as. The thing with Catholicism is it's much more predicated on orthodoxy than orthopraxy, like in uh, Judaism or, or Islam, where the uh, faith is much more baked into your everyday practices. You know, I go to uh, you know, protests and, and rallies and I'm involved in things that are sort of informed by my my faith and, and definitely the work I've been doing over the last many years is definitely, uh, I would say, part of my own personal ministry and being a social worker and definitely my, my professional life has been, uh, you know, guided by my, my faith. It's important to realize that these aren't cut and dry, though, and a lot of Jewish people in America Specifically, Bernie Sanders follow a more orthodoxal approach, and sometimes the Christians equally emphasize orthopraxy. I think the big takeaway here is that maybe religion has been more important to Christian voters because of the orthodoxy of the faith, where certain beliefs stand out as the most important aspects. 
One way we see this in action is regarding social issues, which are often where we see religion talked about the most in politics. So I have this theory that maybe why we haven't heard about religion in this cycle is of course because the candidates aren't as vocal about their own faiths, but also because of the issues. If we think about the big social issues that are important this year, it's things like immigration, issues regarding race, so police brutality in the Black Lives Matter movement, and prison reform, and also education, equal pay and paid leave for women, and so on. And none of those are really as clearly religious issues as abortion or gay marriage were in 2008 and 2012. But then again, there's certainly an argument that can be made that immigration does have something to do with religion, especially regarding Muslim immigrants. But I see what you're saying. So I asked Jack, and he thought there was some truth to what I said. But like a lot of people we talked to, he also just thinks it's the fact that Donald Trump keeps consistently flubbing his attempts to talk about faith. And Hillary Clinton has other things that are more important to talk about than her own Christianity. Donald Trump is not a particularly um, you know, great example of the religious right. Uh, he technically claims to be a member of the Presbyterian Church, particularly the Presbyterian Church USA, which is actually a very liberal denomination, um, which is, the, the, the denomination actually casually explored whether or not they could kick him out of the denomination and found that they couldn't because he, hasn't, he isn't actually a member of any church in the denomination. Um, you know, uh, Donald Trump has consistently flubbed attempts to talk about his faith. You know, when he went to Liberty University um, to try to discuss you know, religion, he flubbed referencing, you know, know, uh, two Corinthians, as he put it, um, he, he, you know, he said he doesn't have to ask God for forgiveness because he doesn't feel that he has anything to apologize for. And so he himself tends to stay away from the topic unless directly asked. And the rest of the campaign doesn't make it a key component of his election. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton wins by basically, you know, you know she, she does talk about her Methodism. She has on several occasions. And she lets Tim Kaine talk about his Catholicism quite often. But um, she doesn't have to tout her faith because in some in many respects the more Donald Trump talks about his um, the more potential she has to win over faith voters so if that's our takeaway let's look forward because as religion changes one thing that's certain is that it's not going to disappear in the next four eight or even 12 years what can we expect from candidates in the future I think one thing is that religion will become more downplayed and more subtle so I quickly want to bring up this really fascinating article by Anne Lee that was published in Nate Silver's blog 538 about how religious liberty has replaced gay marriage in GOP talking points during the primary elections. And I think we're going to see more instances like that in the future. We all know the GOP has been trying to win over young voters and not just be the party of old white men. And I think that this move away from religion definitely would have happened on a much more normal trajectory if Donald Trump wasn't the candidate. I know you asked everyone what their final takes on the role of religion in this election and the future elections were. Um, what were some takes? Yeah, I mean, like politically, as the electorate changes, you're going to start seeing politicians, um, you know, talk about the issues that are facing the electorate and trying to relate to the electorate. So if, you know, Christians are making up a smaller portion of the electorate or if different religions are making up a, a larger portion of it, um, I think you're definitely going to see candidates start you know, trying to broaden their base and broaden their reach. I definitely think religion still matters in politics. Um, but I would say that in in this election, it really matters much less because um, the, the voting experience is not going to be based on religion. Do you think it should matter in politics? Yeah, I think it should. I think that 
religion and um, and gender and race are all things that matter in society and in elections and in government. And those are all things that we need to speak to um, and like really hold when we're making decisions about our society. It's funny because, you know, I, I identify way more politically with Bernie than I would with most of the Catholic politicians out there like Paul Ryan or uh, John Boehner. And I think there's a beauty to finding common ground with, with people who are who are coming from different places, but winding up, you know, at the same conclusions and, and missions. And I think that's something that should be uh, celebrated when you can find it, for sure. So I think that's actually where religion really does matter to young voters. It's not, I want to vote for you because you're Jewish or Baptist or Catholic. It's, I want to vote for you because you seem like a good person and you're honest with yourself and it doesn't really matter how you got there. To wrap this up, I want to end by maybe critiquing the concept of the millennial vote as a whole. We are a huge group of people from a diverse range of backgrounds, and we, like so many demographics, can't really be summed up in the way that a lot of analysts and pundits have attempted to. Perhaps part of the issue is that there are two different takes in mainstream media of what a millennial is. Some people use the term as a synonym for 20-year-olds, so that means a 21-year-old kid whose family's been in Pennsylvania for the past four generations is in the same boat as a 30-year-old Hispanic mother in California. Other than age, these people have so little in common. One good way to think about this is in the context of Bill Clinton. So conservative media is making a point to try to introduce young people to the scandals that surrounded Bill Clinton at the end of his presidency. And while maybe a first-time voter, a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old could use the info, there are millennials that were 15 when all of that went down. There are also millennials that remember the United States pre-9-11, and millennials that were in elementary school and can't really think back to what it was like in our country before it. These are huge things that split our generation in half and undeniably have an impact on the way we're going to vote. Some of us own houses. Some of us are in college. Come on, how can you assume that these people have entirely the same issues in mind? And I think what ends up happening is that there's this one specific fragment of millennials, the stereotypical social media savvy Brooklynite, perhaps. And that's who becomes what we're really talking about when we talk about the millennial vote. So you literally just described yourself. <laughs> um, maybe, but as I mentioned, I never felt the burn. I know what you're saying, and of course the issue with that is that it completely contradicts the fact that a number of millennials still say religion matters to them. Even the small sample I talked to said that even if they aren't religious, it's still something that we need to talk about and that we should know about our candidates. I think everyone has different values that they hold as more important, mostly just because we all have different life experiences. Listen, talking about this election's hard. It doesn't make sense. We have the most experienced candidate in recent history facing off against someone who has never held elected office, and it's strangely close. And that's taken away from giving Hillary a chance to speak openly about her faith and hiding the fact that Donald Trump isn't even religious. The last president without a strong religious tie was Andrew Johnson, and there were some questions... <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I, I didn't even... How did you know that? I googled it. Okay. <laughs> the, the last president without a strong religious tie was Andrew Johnson. I googled that. And there were also some questions about Abraham Lincoln... But every president since those two has been a religious Christian. So you think Donald Trump, if he wins, would be sworn in with a Bible or a copy of The Art of the Deal? <laughs> Which everyone makes his tiny hands look slightly bigger. And that leads us to this final message. Please, please, please vote. Ideally for the candidate who hasn't spoken openly about discriminating against people because of their religion and doesn't have a vice president that uses his faith as a reason to discriminate against the LGBT community. America was founded as a nation with religious freedom. It's one of the best things about this country. Let's try our best to keep it that way. 
Revolves Around Me is produced by me, Max Barnes, in San Francisco, California. And me, Brian Benton, in Brooklyn, New York. Our website is revolvesaround.me, and you can email us at revolvespodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please, please, please rate and review the show on iTunes, and subscribe. We release episodes every other Sunday, and also have some special bonus episodes coming soon. A lot of opinions were missed in this episode, and I'm honestly a little upset that we couldn't find a Trump supporter to talk to about what on earth is going through his head right now. Um, So if that's you, or if you just have a different opinion that was left out, please find us on Facebook, Twitter, or send us an email to share your own story about how religion is influencing your vote. Special thanks to Jack Jenkins. Find his writing at Think Progress and a bunch of other great publications. And thanks to everyone who offered their insight for this episode. Uh, Max, let's end with a joke. <laughs> um, how does an evangelical keep his pants up? <laughs> with a Bible belt. <laughs> <laughs>